You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Love Life. Now, go to Matthew chapter 22. Now, if you go back and transcribe all the sermons, you, go, you keep repeating certain passages. And I am going to continue to repeat certain passages because they're core to who we are as Christians, even to our church and what we do discipleship-wise. In Matthew 22, verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So no-brainer. Forget the second one right now. Are we doing the first one? Do I love him with everything that I have? Because even if you just did the first one, there are going to be so many things that come out of that. Second one. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can hang it all on these two things, a vertical relationship, an internal implicit relationship, and a horizontal relationship, your neighbor. So what do you got going on? You say, well, I'm trying to love my neighbor as I love myself. It will never happen till you let God love you. How is your love life going between you and God and yourself and the other people around you? It's going to get worse, so just hang on. John 3.16. I almost don't read this anymore because I think everybody knows that. They don't know this. So if you know it, great, good for you. I'm going to read it. For God so loved, so he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the whole basis for everything that's going on is love. And we'll see in a minute in a passage where God is literally defined as love. So he literally calls himself out, this is what I am. It's not just something I've provided, but it's how he identifies himself. So God loves the world so much that he gives. So you say, well, how could anybody possibly not understand that he loves you. Why wouldn't you love life? I made a huge mistake the other day, bunch of us at lunch. The waitress comes over and out of my, it's total ignorance, but I screwed up and I know better now. So she comes up and I'm trying to be, you know, bada bing, bada boom with the waitress and just kind of create a conversation and maybe see what's up with her. And I pop off about a tattoo on her arm. Now, what kind of tattoo do you think would get me in trouble? It was a semicolon. And I kind of flippantly said, so what's the semicolon for on your forearm? Anybody in here know why someone has a semicolon tattoo if they have one? A few hands go up. The semicolon is a tattoo used by people in the same way that an author has a sentence going and gets to a place and there's more they want to say, so they don't put a period, they put a semicolon. If you see that on somebody's arm, it's someone who has attempted suicide and survived. So I was like, and my daughter, after the waitress walked up, like, Dad, holy, you know, like, holy cow, you screwed up big time. Like, do you know what that is? Like, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. So I know. So then we engage in that conversation. And I say, maybe more than you're comfortable with, don't kill yourself. How can you keep from killing yourself? You got to love life. You got to believe there's some reason to be here. 
And here's where you've got to pay attention if you're a strong believer, because the enemy will tell you that all these people around us who are running all their traps, loving life, living the life, that they're all happy. Let me tell you something about that life. I sit with too many people to know that ain't working. Because what I have observed and discovered personally in engaging with people is that it always takes more. And sooner or later, you run out of more. There is no more. And then what are you going to do? Maybe you have so much money. And the Bible, by the way, has nothing bad to say about money. It's the love of money, not money. And it talks about he's given us all things to enjoy. But when you start chasing something, you say, well, I'm going to feel better. Now, I've never done any drugs. I've never been drunk. I don't know anything about all that. But from my observation, it works. Don't be telling people it doesn't work. So alcohol works. Weed works. Cocaine works. Meth works. If you want to get high, those things will make you high. But you're trying to keep the plane flying. And it always takes more and more and more to keep the plane flying. And now you got a problem because now you're not doing the drugs, the drugs are doing you. Now you're not doing the alcohol, the alcohol is doing you, and it's never enough. And then your life is just crumbling and being destroyed by this thing that you turned to to think it was going to fix it. So these people are around us every day. Maybe their deal is sex. So they go, oh, you know, how many guys I sit and talk to, and they're married, whatever, not married, and they're just chasing women, chasing women. You know, there's not enough women in the world. There's not enough men in the world if that's the game you want to play. Because you conquer, then you think, well, if I got that one, I can get that one, I can get that one, I can get that one. And then you're just plowing through people trying to prove that you can get more. And then it's just, it's insanity. So be aware that if you love life, you are living life amongst people who are trying to love life, but their life is just evaporating on them. And they don't know where to go. You say, well, they're not going to listen to me. They've got all this stuff. They're living the life. I would throw me some Jesus in there and just see what happens. You'd be amazed what happens. John 13, to the right. Okay, so John 13, this is going down at the Last Supper. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then in verse 31, John 13, 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, verse 34. Now this is massive. You, know, you say, we got Old Testament commandments. No new commandments. And out of God's mouth, Jesus, God, and a man, these words come. A new commandment I give to you. I am issuing a new commandment. And if you go back and look at the original 10... Uh, it ain't in there. As far as I remember, the word love is not used in the Ten Commandments. But look at this. A new commandment I give to you. And what is the commandment? That you love one another. Now, he doesn't just say that. He doesn't say just love one another. How are we supposed to love one another? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, you can fake a whole lot of stuff. You either love, and I had a friend of mine in the room today ask me this just a few days ago. He said, so, you know, what do you think it is? And, you know, you seem to love people. Let me tell you something about loving people. You either do or you don't, and they know it when you do or you don't, period. You can put 20,000 people in a building and call it church, 
and throw one wildcat, just one lost person in the room and say, go in there and find out what's going on. And they will come out. And if you leave them in there long enough, and they're really, it doesn't matter how many people, but if there really is not love in that room, they'll come out and go, they'll call it. It's not real. I can't even tell you what kind of detector that is, but it's that kind of detector. They got alarms that go off like this isn't real. So we have a gentleman in the balcony today. Came in first time as far as I know. He either knows we love him or he doesn't. Do you know how he knows whether we love him or not? By watching us with each other. It's nothing to do with him. So somehow he sizes it up and decides, I am either going to come back or not come back, not because of the way they treated me, but because of the way they're treating each other. Because you can turn on a smile for a visitor for a minute, but watch the rest of the crew. Is this a family? Do we really care about each other? And Jesus says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. You love each other the way that I've loved you. And how does he love us? Selflessly, unconditionally. You either love people or you don't. And you're not going to do it without him. John chapter 14, verse 6. Now you say, well, I'm having trouble loving life. Jesus literally said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You want to love life? Love me and you'll love life because I am life. I am the life. It's amazing what happens when you chase Jesus. You chase after him, you stay connected to him, you abide in him as John talks about, then things start happening just coming out of that relationship with him. You end up talking to people, you make some mistakes along the way, but my semicolon comment turned out to be a good thing. It taught me something I didn't know and I had a chance to talk to her and tell her I was glad she was alive and then you start talking to her about real life. First Corinthians chapter 13, end of that love chapter. Verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. Why is love preeminent? As we'll see in a minute, I've already mentioned it, because that's who God is. So this love thing is a huge deal. And if you're going to love life, you have to have a love life with him. You've got to have some intimacy with him. You've got to have some time with him. I don't know too many couples. There's a, I won't even look where she is, but there's a, a woman I met today. Her husband works the oil field, and he's gone for weeks at a time. It's hard. Why? Because a relationship, you say, well, we can Skype. I got friends I Skype, discipleship stuff that way. You know what I want? I want to see your eyeballs. I want to hug you. I want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. And I think God's the same way. You say, well, how could we not be with him? Doesn't he live in us? Exactly. How could you have someone literally living in your body and have no relationship with them? How is that even possible? I shared this not proudly the other day, and I don't think Rebecca and I have talked about this in a long time, but one of the things I don't like about having a king-size bed, I'm okay now because it doesn't happen anymore, but I can remember nights climbing in that king-size bed, just praying we didn't bump in the night. Now, how can you sleep in the same bed with somebody and not want to touch them? Because things aren't going well literally almost hugging the edge of the bed with my right arm leaning over, holding myself up on the bed rail. No chance I'm going to bump into that redhead. You say, well, that's crazy stuff. Anybody want to show a hands who's played that game before? Thank you for your honesty. So you say, well, what would keep me from having the relationship I'm supposed to have with him? I don't know. What is it? Well, I want everything he wants. Then you're good to go. Search me, oh God, and try me. Run through my house. See if there's anything, but don't check that closet. That one's the, the homeowner's closet. That's where my stuff is. Not your stuff, my stuff. 
It's amazing if you let him go through the house and he says, okay, this got to go. You go, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And then this moment where you say, Lord, are we good? And he goes, we're good. All of a sudden, boom, that relationship. Now, this is what a lot of people are waiting on is for God to apologize. Well, I apologize. It's his turn. Let me tell you something. He is never going to apologize because he's done nothing wrong. Whether you get it or like it or not, you're not going to get an apology from God because he's perfect. He's holy. You may not understand, but when something goes wrong, the best thing to do is find a mirror and solve the problem because you are looking at the problem. Galatians chapter 5 talked about joy the other day, but if you look at this list in Galatians chapter 5, 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, it gave a long list of stuff that the flesh is, but the fruit of the Spirit is first thing out of the chute is what? Love. What is up with this love thing? You're never going to have joy without love. You're never going to have peace without love. You're never going to have any long, you're not going to have any of that without love. That is the basis for the relationship. That's who he is. So if you get him, you get love, and then all this stuff starts happening. We plant in a garden. I do not do dirt in gardens. I dig holes on golf courses with clubs every once in a while, but not. So I'm digging little holes, and she comes out with these little packages of seeds. Like, these seeds are so small, like, these can't be seeds. It's like dust. And I dig a little hole, and she sprinkles dust in there, and we cover it up and water. Like, I just don't garden. I don't know what's going on here. But I'm kind of curious to see what's going to come out of the ground. On one of them, it had a little label that came with the package that you shove in the ground where you planted it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And it has the name of what's there. Do you know what happens to that plant if that little tag is removed? Does it cease being what it is? Whatever that seed is, it's coming out of the ground. You may not know what's about to come up. It's a prize garden. You know, like, well, wow, look at there. We lost the tags. You can wear a tag all you want. The fruit's going to tell who you are. You say apple tree, we're all going to stand around waiting for apples. There better be some fruit. I grew up in these big, not always big, and maybe they weren't all this way. It's just what I perceived. I just never got the vibe. It was like giant bowls of artificial fruit. Like this big church. And you, from a distance, you look at it and go, wow, I've never seen so much fruit in my life. And then you get closer and closer and closer. And then you pick it up and you look at it and go, oh my gosh, this is plastic. This is not even fruit. Looks like fruit. Maybe you could spray something on it and make it smell like fruit. If it's fruit, it's fruit. So the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. First thing out of the chute. Now, if you're wondering, well, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. If you have a question about whether you love people or not, you don't love people. This is not complicated. Anybody here used to not love people? Raise your hand. See, I knew you were out there. So why don't we love people? Anybody got an answer for that one? We're either selfish or we don't have a healthy love for ourselves. And we're loving our neighbor the way we love ourselves. Well, why don't I love me? Because I don't let God love me. And so I don't have any love from him and for him. So then it all, you back into it and that's your problem. So you say, well, it sounds like you're judging people by the way they treat other people. I'm just making observations from personal experience because I can be mean as the devil too. When I'm walking in the flesh, I don't love people. I'm not attractive to even me when I'm that way, and that's when I wouldn't even marry me. And this is why men feel sorry for their wives. If the men are a piece of work and the wife's a great lady, they feel bad for their wife because if she's extraordinary pretty much all the time, you just think, poor woman, what happened? I duped her or something. Like, she got tricked. 
See, if I look in the mirror and I don't even like me sometimes, then why am I going to try to get you to like me? I'm going to act a certain way to get you to like me. Then I can go back to being who I really am when I'm not trying to act. It's exhausting. Why don't you just be who you're supposed to be in the first place? Why don't we just walk with him all the time? 1 Peter 4.8, and he gives a bunch of litany of things here, and he says, and above all things, what? Have fervent love for one another, for, quote, love will cover a multitude of sins. When you really, really love someone and they screw up, you'd be amazed what you can overlook moving forward because you love them so much. Like, dude, you know what? Yeah, I'm upset, but I love you so much, I'm not willing to give the relationship up over this sin, this thing. So, yeah, you said you're sorry. I forgive you. Let's keep going because I love you so much. Fervently love you. It's hard to hide fervency, by the way. Rebecca will tell you I was at a function the other day and saw a guy that I have not seen in 20 years, a friend. He was in my wedding, and for some reason, we just have not seen each other. And when I saw his face and realized who he was and that it was him, I'm bigger than he is. I literally reached down and lifted that man off the ground, hugging him and holding him in my arms. I finally put him down. I realized, oh, I took him off the ground. I wasn't thinking about the fact that I'd taken him off the ground. I grabbed him fervently like I was glad to see him because he's a friend of mine and someone I've known you know, for a very, very, very long time. Just kind of impulse. Who you got like that? You can't be around here very long and not figure out you're going to get hugged, right? And I got men that show up here, and I grab them, and they're just like, oh, they just go dead fish on me, like, ah. (laughs) I'm going to throw my buddy John under the bus, because when I first started hugging John, he wasn't all there. And now when I hug John both arms, he grabs me both arms, and we stand there and hug each other. You know why I hug on him? I love that man. You see, it sounds like you're about to start crying talking about that. I love my wife, but I love a lot of other people too. We need to have a love life that looks like that's a fact. And when you see someone that you love, you love on them. You tell them you love them. How many people have I said already today, hugged you and said, I love you? And you say, well, that's an anomaly. No, it's not. I tell almost everybody that. Makes people uncomfortable. I'm okay with that too. You may need to be uncomfortable and then get used to it and start living a life where you really demonstrably let people know you love them. You know why that's so important? Because there are a lot of people in the world who got nobody to love on them. They got nobody. And you show up and they may be awkward, but like, wow, that was so encouraging. That person loves me. Women do a better job of this sometimes because they feel more comfortable being affectionate. There's no scripture in here. The Bible really says greet each other with a holy kiss. If you don't like my hug, I'm going to escalate. <laughs> so you better be grabbing and holding on or I'm about to go all rushing up in here. All right, last one, 1 John chapter 4. So this is very intense. I'm just going to read through this, and then we're done. This is very intense stuff in this regard, and it kind of tells me that he's not kidding. He's not kidding about something that he literally says that he is. Verse 7, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, and this is written to Christians, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God. This is not how you define it. Oh, we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to take our place. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Like this is so no brainer. If God loved us, 
and this is who he is and how he operates, then this is how we should operate towards each other. And he's about to drop the boom here on all of us. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So if you say, well, I live in fear of God, then you don't know he loves you. Now, I have an awesome awe and respect for him, but I don't live in fear. The God that I know and serve that loves me is not going to send me to hell. Not possible. He will never release me from his hand. Not going to happen. He will never leave me or forsake me. Not going to happen. No matter what sin I commit, he will never love me any more or less than he does right now, and that's always true. You say, well, you sound like you're all cocky about that. No, that's just a fact. So I don't live in fear of losing my relationship with him. But I do have respect for the fact that because he loves me, proof that he loves me is he's going to chasten me as his child. So if I get out of line, if I disobey and think, oh, I can just do what I want to do, he says, well, no, you can't. And here's proof that you're my child, and here comes the discipline. And that causes us, hopefully, to say, you know what? I don't want to disobey anymore. I believe I'll stay right here, close to him, do what he wants me to do, because I don't want to be disciplined like that anymore. So there's no fear. Last few lines here. Now listen, if someone says, I love God, you have to say it that way too, or it doesn't work. So you have someone saying, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's telling you he loves God, but he doesn't love God because he hates his brother. Now you say, well, how do you know who these people are? You'll know when you meet somebody. They're eating up with hatred. They may be telling you they love God, but they go, dude, what about your brother here? This literal brother or someone that is a brother, a Christian, you won't let them go. Oh, no, 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 dude, you don't know what he did to me. And then their teeth kind of grit and they get all you know, bowed up like, what's that? That's anger. That's unforgiveness. That's going to kill you. And so we are these people that walk around that don't forgive, that don't love our brothers and sisters, but we say, oh, I love God. We say the words and church people may buy it because we need to believe it about each other to stay together. But the world goes, whatever, dude, you claim to love God. You don't even love this guy right here. He's a liar, it says. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And verse 21, the word commandment used again, and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. You cannot claim to love God and not love your brother. Inseparable, doesn't make any sense. So how's your love life? Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. 
And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Now back into it where we started. Start with your love life with Him. Because if your love life is healthy with God, your love life with yourself is going to be healthy. Then the people around you is going to be healthy. Then everything, as you back into it, it all starts to just work. And I know this sounds judgmental, but this is how it works. I can always tell somebody who loves Jesus. How do you think you can spot somebody who really loves Jesus? You just watch them loving. Because if someone says they love God and they hate their brother, something's not working. But when you see somebody loving their brother and see you start finding out things, you go, dude, so tell me about this situation. Yeah, he did that. She did that. This is what happened. Wow, seems like y'all are really close. He's my brother. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, that's how it works. Because that's how God's treated me unconditionally, without reservation in Christ. So how could I be loved? Go read Matthew 18. How in the world could I be forgiven so much and then not turn around and forgive? It's not even possible, right? Now, you have this kind of love life and you walk out these doors and go live in this world, there'll be people asking for a reason for the hope that's within you because they're like, they ain't got that. Because in the world, somebody does you wrong, you retaliate, you get revenge, you get back. That's the law of the jungle out there but it doesn't work. And then they see someone live in love, a whole life of it, and they're drawn to it. But ultimately, it's him that they're drawn to. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.